but as we uh, uh, get ready to begin this morning, I, I have a brief thing to share with you all today. Um, Rick Pickering and I had an opportunity this week to attend a, uh, a pastor and uh, ministry leader's breakfast at the Naval Academy uh, put on by the chaplains. And uh, I knew some of the chaplains already, but it was good to meet the, the entire team, um, as well as uh, how many guys have met the Porters? Anyone met the Porters? Robert and Jessica. He's newly stationed. He's a uh, he is a um, chaplain's assistant. And if it, probably the best way to explain what that is is that think deacon to elders. So they they take care of the chapel, all the services, like set up, make sure that everybody has what they need. Um, when I did the when I did the um, Sean's wedding, you know the chaplain assistants were getting us all geared up with the mics and doing all those kinds of things. But they do all the the, if you want to say it, some of the grunt work and planning and layout and organizing for the chaplains. But we had a chance to meet some more of those folks as well. One of the big issues, though, so that, you know, this just brings to mind a great deal of things. The Department of Navy has uh, informed Captain uh, Buford, uh, he's the command chaplain, um, to, with rising escalations around the world, uh, to uh, start making plans as they prepare to pull chaplains. There aren't enough chaplains for all the ships, so the more ships they deploy, the more chaplains they need. They said that they, they shared with him it could get as um, concerning as uh, just leaving him as the command chaplain and his one uh, chaplain assistant. Um, and so... Um, part of what they were doing was building relationships with us so that if, if they are drawn down without replacements, and we already know of two chaplains that that's already, they're already slotted for, um, that he's got relationships to turn to the community to assist with the care and the needs of uh, those that are at the academy. So um, <clears throat> they had this in the kind of planning to do already, but I think that accelerated it. And... Uh, so we ask that you just be praying. There's 4,800 midshipmen. Um, you know, I, I think right now there's, uh, counting the command chaplain, maybe nine chaplains. And, you know, if you take that many and you cut it down, that really makes it a, a real challenge for, for care. <coughs> uh, all right, let's get started this morning. And uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, that you are the God who called us out of bondage. You raised us up. You gave us a new heart, and we trust in you. As we grow older, as we face challenges, as we face sorrows, may our grief be one that we turn to you, that we find our comfort in you, and Lord, may we do it in a way that honors you. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. So uh, this morning, we're going to start out by reading Psalm 102. So if I could have some folks turn there, um, Psalm 102. And uh, 
<coughs> we're going to break it up. <clears throat> so there are 28 verses, so four people read seven verses apiece. Um, <clears throat> so who'd like to do one through seven? Okay. Um, how about eight through 14? All right. Then uh, 15 through 21. Okay, Jonathan. All right. And then lastly, 22 through the end. Gene? Okay. So uh, please uh, read it. We'll just, as soon as the person ends, uh, please begin with your section. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. For you, you will rise and have mercy on Zion, for the time to favor her, yet the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. Jonathan, you're up. <laughs> Thank you. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute, and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth. To hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise. When the people are gathered together in the kingdom, the good of the Lord, he has weakened my strength in the way, he has shortened my days. I say, O God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the way of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will endure. So just briefly in the psalm, we're using this psalm as a frame-up. Uh, one, it's perfectly appropriate to go before God with your grief, uh, with your loss. Um, and we, we see here a very poetic and, and deep expression of grief. Uh, God does see. God does uh, bring uh, encouragement uh, to uh, his people. Um, he does care, and uh, again, he does bring compassion. And it's something that we <clears throat> are encouraged here to talk about generation by generation uh, to be thinking. You know, this kind of, that's all right, please walk, take your time. <clears throat> and, uh, but, but 
we find ourselves, it's something that we need to deal with. One of the difficulties, and we've talked about this a little bit before, is that uh, unfortunately we, we frequently find that uh, our lives are sanitized of death. People don't generally die at home anymore. Uh, people uh, don't uh, bring their, their children around. Uh, people that are near their, their deathbeds. I'll tell you what, if you've ever taken your little kids or a baby into a nursing home, you can't imagine all the joy that that brings. Uh, that, that is a gift that uh, we did many times with our children looking for ways to serve the community. But it's a real blessing. And I'd encourage you, if you have children, go and visit the widows in the church. Um, that's a real blessing for them as well. Um, <clears throat> But I, I, would, I would encourage you, as such, um, to not keep death from your children. When there are funerals, bring them to them. It helps them frame and understand the world, and that's really important for us. So <clears throat> we're continuing bringing points out of Facing Grief by the Puritan John Flavel. And he is, uh, re remember, I said this to you last week, but I just want to remind you, um, he had four wives. Three of them died before he married the next one. Um, but uh, he understood grief in this way. A number of his children died as well. He understands grief in that way. And so I think he has at least in his walk with God as a, as a pastor, having experienced grief at the closest level. I mean, you, had to, you have to think for a second when his second wife died it was a, it was a, a, quite a blow when his third wife died he, you have to be at, he you have he had to be asking himself lord what am i doing right how am i challenged in this way and of course last week i made a comment that when he was coming around to wife number 4 you had to wonder if she wasn't uh, thinking in that way as well but 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 he can speak i think with some authority having been, as he would term it, afflicted by God uh, in this way. And so I, I bring this up simply to say that at times some of the things that he says seem really direct and maybe uncompassionate. <clears throat> but one of the problems that we have in our society today is, is we find people, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> our, our, our culture, and it's even in the church, comes to a place where if someone has been afflicted by the Lord, if they've suffered loss, if they've suffered uh, uh, difficulty by others in their life, um, we give them a pass. We say, oh, you can't challenge them on the sin in their life or their sin and how they're dealing with this. Um, it becomes taboo. And so I want to tell you that's wrong. Now, again, you don't want to be ungracious. But we are called to live to glorify God. And so it is really important for us to be very mindful of the fact that there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And we want to be mindful of that. So when we get to some of these hard statements here today, we're going to talk a little bit here about proper ways to grieve just a short amount, frame it up a little bit, and then we're going to talk about the sins relating to uh, grieving in an improper and sinful way. 
And then ne the next time I teach, because next week, uh, praise God, I'll be up in Connecticut, Lord willing, uh, marrying this couple back here in the back. Um, so Luke will be preaching. And, but, but when I come back the, the, the week after Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I will uh, we'll be taking a look at how God comforts and how we are to comfort those that are grieving. So there, there, there is a right way to grieve. Um, one of the things that John Flavel says is this, the afflicted must be allowed and awakened and tender sense of Lord's afflicting hand upon them. So it's important to say, hey, it's all right. You need to be awakened, and, and it, it will be tender, and it will be injurious. But it is truly the Lord's hand afflicting us. And that's, that's a, an important thing to think about, especially when, uh, say, death comes upon us suddenly, unexpectedly, when someone dies in what we think is the flower of their youth, or a child, or a dear friend who looked great today, and then tomorrow the Lord has taken them. He also says this, it is becoming a Christian to open his troubles than to suddenly smother them. Now, this is real important. As a Christian, we need to um, open ourselves to, the, to what God is doing. It is, it is not good to uh, become uh, sullenly, you know, to, to just look at ourselves and, oh, what was me? This is so terrible. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smother it all down. And I'm, in other words, turning inward, right? Turning inward on yourself. You don't hold the answers. The comfort doesn't, is not found in you, but is found in our Lord Almighty. Um, he goes on to say, there's no sin in, in complaining to God. Sin enters when we complain about him. So you see in the Psalm 102 that we read today that the, the, the psalmist is crying out to God, right? And he's not, he's not bringing accusations against God with these hardships. Instead, he is saying, God's the one who's going to provide. And by the way, I have a calling. I need to be able to teach others, the generations after me, how you are to sorrow, how you are to grieve. Griefs are eased by groans and heart pressures and relieved by utterance. So <clears throat> when, when we go to God and we express our grief, right, express it, utter it, get it out, right? Sometimes when I'm, uh, when I'm talking with a person, I'll, I'll, I'll reference this to, to my, my children, you know, when, when there have been times where we've, you know, they've got something and, you know, they're expressing things. I'm like, get it out. Get it out. I can take it. Just get it out. Just get it all out. <coughs> there, there, there is something to this. Express yourself to God. Pour it out. Pour it out. Don't hold it in. But go to God. Speak to God about it. Take it to him. <clears throat> Here's something that a way in which we should grieve. We may accuse, judge, and condemn ourselves 
for being the cause of our time of troubles. Now, I'm going to tell you that is not something that is a common view of things. Right? We live in a day and age where people approach things and say, how can this happen to me? Or how did this, this hard thing, this difficult thing happen to someone else? We have elevated ourselves. We have forgotten the fact that we are altogether, altogether corrupt and sinful. Right? We, 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 we cling to Christ and we're new creatures and we feel entitled to be special and exempt from difficulties. When in fact, that's not the calling. Right? Our Lord suffered grief. Our Lord suffered unjust accusations. Our Lord suffered physically. Our Lord suffered in death. And all of these things, we're told that if we're his disciples, that we too will be um, facing these types of things. It is all simply God's grace in our life. We've got to move away from this fact that we're entitled to an easy life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I want to say this to you. It's really important um, that, that we recognize that I am not saying that we don't deal with sin. We don't, I'm saying, of course, we should deal with the false accuser. We should stand up against the abuser. We should um, deal with these issues. But I want us to all be mindful of the fact that God has given us his immense grace, his immense forgiveness. And all the good we have is what God has for us. And, and what God does when he is working uh, troubles and afflictions and even death of loved ones in your life is he is sanctifying you. He is exposing what is in your heart. The sin that has crept up in there, that is pent up in there, to what end? That you may confess your sins and be drawn closer to him that he may be glorified. And finally, by the way, a, a good verse for that accusation of ourselves is Psalm 38.5, if you want to jot that in your notes. The afflicted may in humble submission manner plead with God for the removal of their affliction. And we see this also in Psalm 39. Someone turn to Psalm 39 for me and read verses 7 through 13. Jean, go ahead. Yes. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent, my dear, for I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. So, again, 
Um, we can go before God. We can ask him for relief. We can ask him to deliver us. Um, those are all appropriate ways uh, to grieve. And so we want that mindful framing. Okay, that's, that's the right way. But what are the sinful ways where grief becomes excessive, where grief becomes sinful? First, it causes us, when our grief causes us, to slight and despise all our other mercies and enjoyments as small things in comparison to what we've lost. So think about that. If our grief causes us to slight and despise all the other mercies that God gives us and all the other enjoyments that God has given us in small things in comparison to what we've lost. It's like saying, okay, I... You know, I've got this terrible grief. It's awful. And when you see that first spring flower pop up out of the ground, or perhaps oddly every once in a while, there'll be a frost or a snow, and a single flower will pop up like it's confused. The beauty that God has given us. Um, There are so many ways that this can go awry, where first of all, we reject the fact that God has called us he's given us a new heart he's forgiven our sins and we get so caught up this is a sinful way to do it what this actually does is this actually involves ignorance ingratitude and uh, it is a great provocation to our lord how about god's forbearance and his goodness to you Don't get in a place where you despise the goodness of God, his forgiveness, where he's put you. You might look around and say, man, I got all this terrible stuff, but don't take that, give it to God. Don't don't be caught up in saying, oh, there's no good in my life. No, God has called you. Um, uh, A... uh, Adaption by Jim Jordan of a famous saying. The, the current saying is, whatever doesn't kill you, Jim Jordan changes that to whatever doesn't kill you, gives you time to repent. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember. Um, you know, we come in here every week, we confess our sins. I, I'm pretty sure most of you on a daily basis are confessing sins to God and those you sinned against, right? You're doing those things. What the, that is a tremendous mercy and blessing. Sometimes we do that so much we forget. We forget how good a blessing that is. We go through our lives and we're not challenged in such a way and, and we don't mourn over our sins. Oh, I'm just going to say a prayer and it's all going to be all right. No, that is a great mercy of God. It is a great kindness of God. Second, grief becomes sinful and excessive when our griefs wholly engulf our hearts that we either mind not at all or are little or nothing sensible of public evils um, and calamities which lie upon the church and the people of God. You see, this goes back to being sullen and, and inward drawing, trying to just cut yourself off from others. No, when our grief overwhelms us, or as he says, wholly engulfs 
that we don't mind at all the evil and calamities that are in the world and in the church and afflicting God's people. We're grieving in a sinful and excessive way. Um, someone turn to Philippians 2.21. As soon as you have it, go ahead and read it out nice and loud. For all seek their own, not the things which are in Christ Jesus. So the, the, the warning there in Philippians 2 is to tell us that, that our, our heart is to, to seek our own, when in fact we need to be turning uh, to Christ. Third, our sorrows become sinful and exorbitant when they divert us from or distract us from our duties so that our intercourse with heaven is stopped and interrupted by them. So, um, obviously, one of the reasons that I'm quoting some of these things directly from, from John is because his language is robust, right? And we talk about this, your intercourse with heaven. This is your communication, your intimacy with God. So it says that if your grief causes you or your sorrows cause you to be diverted from or distracted from your duties so that you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you're not crying out to God, you're not praying for others, right? You're not concerned. And so you're isolating yourself. You see self-isolation, right? That begins when we step away from God. So we have a duty to do these things. We cannot allow our griefs and sorrows to cause us to isolate ourselves from God and our calling to serve as church. Has natural death seized your loved one and spiritual deadness seized you? Is your grief so great that your spiritual deadness is seizing you and keeping you paralyzed from doing what you ought? Surely when your troubles accompany you to your closet, they are sinful and extravagant troubles. Again, this sounds, you know, he's being real direct. Hey, you've gone too far. Extravagant. When you close yourself up, when you go and run and hide in the closet, and I'm not going to come out and talk to anyone, Right? These are extravagance. Yes. Wouldn't that be a reference to the prayer closet? I don't think so. Okay. Not in the, the whole context of the, the three or four paragraphs that he wrote on this point. Uh, uh, I don't understand then how he, why is he talking about his closet? Well, because what, what he's saying here is um, that you go and you cut yourself off. It's this continuing of, I'm going to take it in. I'm going to shut myself in. I'm going to go th to the, the, the most secure thing, right? You have your front room. You have your bedroom. Presumably your closet is the farthest thing back. You're going to go in your closet and shut yourself off. Um, you, you don't want anyone uh, to come in there and bother you. Jonathan, do you play in the closet? No, but it's a common phrase. Sure. From this era. And they would have had less closed closets back then, so it'd be interesting to yeah. pursue it. 
I've often heard in some old English that closet was actually the place where you did your personal business. The water yeah, closet? The wash, yeah, the water closet. Yeah. Don't go to the bathroom. But, but anyway, it's, it's, it, in, in, that sense, in that sense, again, the point is that's the most private space. You just keep going back to that place where you close yourself off. <clears throat> Next, when, when our griefs overload your bodies as to endanger your life or to render your body useless and unfit for service. Now, I, I think we're all aware uh, of the fact that if we take um, our stresses and we keep them harbored in and we try to keep them patted down and we don't let them out, right, what happens to your blood pressure? Maybe you young folks don't know about this. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I didn't see your hand. I thought your hand was being raised. It goes up, right? Um, and what, what, what if you, you do all kinds of other things that just in that way where you're just, I'm not going to deal with this, so I'm going to maybe binge eat, maybe um, wallow in my sorrows in such a way that it actually causes physical illness. There are all kinds of things where you, when we don't deal with things, um, that it harms our bodies by keeping it in. And so uh, we don't want to do that. We want to take our concerns to God. We want to trust in God. Uh, someone turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read verses 10 and 11. So there, there's this comparison. Read that one more time. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's this comparison here. Salvation comes by, by coming to repentance. When we see our grief, see our troubles. You know, any time you get in a, a situation where things are going sideways, the first question ought to be, Heavenly Father, have I sinned against you? Right? And keeping your, even when you think you haven't, where, you know, keep your mind open. Keep asking that question. Is what, do I have something to be repentive? And maybe not to a person, but maybe just to God and our thoughts and our actions. Um, so it, it's important that, um, that we look at that because if we, if we don't repent, if we live in this state, um, it simply brings about death. Next, it is sin when our affliction sours the spirit with discontent and makes an inwardly grudge against the hand of God. Then our trouble is full of sin, and we ought to be humbled before it. Wow. When this affliction sours our spirit with discontent, and then we do an inwardly grudge against the hand of God. Wow, at that point it's full-blown, right? It's full of sin. 
So I want to turn to Psalm 119, 75. 119, verse 75. Speed drill time, right? I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So in his faithfulness he afflicted us. This is really important. It's God's hand who brings the affliction. Again, in, in the modern church, that offends our senses. That offends the way we think. We presume too much upon the grace of God. Now, I'm all about grace, and it is a joy for us to be forgiven. And when we come here today and, and we go through the service, right, and we say our, our prayer of, of uh, confession, okay, you, you need to know that it is a joy. God is truly forgiving your sins, and there is joy there. But don't presume that, that you're righteous in any way. It's Christ's righteousness. It's Christ alone who has covered your sin. And so <clears throat> we, we want to understand that it is God's hand of affliction. Next, it says this, It is a sin when our sorrow exceeds due bounds, when we continually excite and provoke them by willing irritations. Now, it's a little complicated in that way, but think about it this way, okay? We, we do this when we delight in relics, not to be encouraged in godliness, but to rub the wound to produce flesh blood with trivial yet wounding circumstance. What he's saying is, it's like this. <clears throat> you have all these, these maybe photos of your dear one. And you don't go to them and say, praise God that they died in faith and that Christ has, has blessed them and called them home, right, to be in his presence, right? And praise God they're going to be there at the resurrection. And man, I think back to that person, and I'm encouraged to be a more faithful Christian by this, this, and this. That's the proper way to look at those photos or, as he uses the word, relics. Right? Because they didn't have photos when he wrote this. Right? But the things that bring us to mind, if, if, if we do those things and, and, and we have the, uh, you know, we've seen people, they've got a memorial built up. And it's not to remember God's <laughs> grace. It's not to be encouraged to walk more faithfully. But it is simply to go by and have the wound, rub it so that it bleeds more. There's a right way and a wrong way with which to grieve. Lastly, our, our sorrows may be pronounced sinful. This is big. When they deafen our ears to all the wholesome and seasonable words of counsel and comfort offered us for relief and support. So... Um, I know that sometimes people come during your time of sorrow and grief and they say things and you're overly sensitive and maybe they're not being as delicate as they ought, right? Um, 
but receive it as they love you, they care about you, they bothered to call you, they bothered to stop by your house or to go meet you for coffee. And then, as you begin to hear, as you're dealing with your grief, as your brothers and sisters in Christ speak to you, right? And if they see you start to step in some of these sinful places, right? Don't cut yourself off. Don't deafen your ear. Oh, they don't know. They don't understand. Man, if they're speaking God's word to you, here it is God's word. Right? Consider it. Meditate on it. Receive it. But don't be deafened to God's work of grace and comfort. You know, in that uh, book, um, Get Real, in, in uh, one of the chapters is focused on the, uh, on the place of let people serve you. When it's your time of sorrow, grief, and need, don't say, I got it. Don't rob them from their gift to serve you, to care for you, to nurture you. By the way, your true friends, if, you, if you've taken it too far, they're going to tell you. All right, we've been helping you for a while. Get up on your own feet. Listen, when, when I had my first stroke at 38, and it was pretty debilitating in the beginning, but I, I turned this way. I got sullen. I didn't want to, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd press myself to get to church on Sunday, but other than that, I really wasn't doing much, and I got stuck, and I had to have a couple of my friends come and say, Dan, get your butt up and get after it. I know it's hard. It's difficult. You've got all this, this stuff you're dealing with. Look to God, press through it. And by the way, we're here to take you, right? So in other words, <clears throat> there's, there's, there's this place where if you go too far, true brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll tell you. They'll prod you, right? So, so people of God, be loving, be kind, be caring, but be truthful, right? Be truthful. Don't allow your brothers and sisters to, to fall into ungodly <coughs> grief. <clears throat> Pastor Dan, I yes. have a question on like, the topic of relics. Yes. Um, cemeteries and like, tombstones and people who go there to regularly like pay respects to their, their fallen ancestors or, or what have you, or friends. Um, what is like... I know, no, there's a biblical way to do that. There's not a biblical way to do that. What is, what is your, your understanding of that? So I'll, t- I'll tell you two things. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting ready to, to drive up to Connecticut. We're going to stop in North Philadelphia where I have a, a, a long past ancestor who was the first Baptist minister in Pennsylvania. They've got a big uh, kind of monument there and the big long story on the monument. I've read it in the past. But I'm going to go there, and I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to praise God for his faithfulness to the people in, in that community and how I'm a descendant of this man and be encouraged by, by this Christian. I've also seen it where, um, you know, the, the young woman that was to be my, my wife's maid of honor, uh, I guess about uh, 10 months before we were to be married, died in a car wreck and it was really challenging um, and you know for my wife you know and and um, before we got married and even after there was a, there were periods of time where we went 
and I stood kind of in the background and she went and she talked to God and she shared things there at the tombstone. But at the end of the day, right, she was looking to God. And then there was one day where we didn't need to go anymore, right? She kept going. So I think it's appropriate to go there. I think it's appropriate to go and uh, put flowers out, um, you know, go around Easter, remembering God's faithfulness for the great resurrection. Um, you know, if, if uh, money were no object, we'd buy that hill over there. And we would put a church cemetery there. Why? Because we want to remi- we want to walk out and say, "Hey, here's the resurrection, right? We believe in the resurrection." Um, and so, I-, I think that's appropriate to do that in that way. But the question is, does it rule your life? Does it keep you from your duties? Um, is-, is it is it a way where you're glorifying God in it, or are you stuck in a in a in a sullen, cut off state? Yes. Well, you have to trust in God's providences, right? His hand guides us. Again, everything he does is right, so we stand with him and find our comfort in him, even though that it's hard. All right, uh, next time we'll uh, talk about comfort for those in grieving. Any other uh, questions or comments? I hope you're finding our discussions of these things to be edifying and a blessing for you. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you uh, that you are the God of all comfort. Lord, we declare here today that we are sinful and you have been gracious to us. Lord, sometimes you do smite us. You do afflict us. And Lord, it is for your glory and it is for us to, to come before you and acknowledge that. Thank you for the promise of the forgiveness of sins through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.